Have you subscribed to the OTB Football Podcast? Probably for a little over a year. It's been my intention and my desire to play, play for Ireland. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. You ain't shit! I wish I was 50 years younger no, and no, I'd no. kick your ass. <laughs> My fans can be the harshest critics, you know. And they often are. A wife is often the harshest critic <laughs> of her husband. <laughs> I thought I was invincible. That's what you're, you're trained to believe as a sports person. There was four million people in Ireland who knew much more about managing <laughs> football teams than I did. When it comes to music, I can spoof it the best. Your sporting career is the best time you'll have, and, you know, you have to hang on to it for as long as your life because everything else is pretty crappy. And this is not lies. Stephen Rochard has never spoken to Jim McGuinness in his life. This is Off The Ball Saturday on News Talk. John Duncan with you 3 to 5. You can text us 53106 or streaming the conversation as well. Listen on News Talk. Also watch us on the Off The Ball digital and social channels. For Periscope on Twitter, at Off The Ball, YouTube, Facebook and on the OTB Sports app. And we're going to be talking all things boxing over the next hour in the studio with the Olympian Emma Brennan and the Irish Sun boxing correspondent Kevin Byrne. And also on the line, the former world amateur silver medalist and current pro fighter Jason Quigley. Jason, we're going to start with you. Jason, how's the form? All good, lads. All good. Thanks for having me on. Good to see you, uh, Jason. And you're preparing for a fight at the National Stadium in April against Kim Polson. So your first fight in Ireland as a pro. Yeah, really excited for this one. It's um, as you said, you know, it's me. It's my first fight back in Ireland and the first fight back in the stadium in about, I think, nearly over ten years. So it's uh, it's exciting and really looking forward to it. To be sure now. So tell us about the journey uh, in since obviously you, you lost to Demetrius Andrade. You've been working with Andy Lee. So what's been happening in terms of you in the last say eighteen months, getting into a position where you're looking forward to this pro fight? I suppose there was uh, there was a lot going on. To be honest, um, after the Andrade fight, there was uh, there was a lot of downtime to to have and um, to recover from my injury. Um, broke my jaw in that fight, so I had. Uh, had a bit of time out to recover. I suppose it wasn't the, the best time to, to break the jaw. It was just coming up to Christmas and didn't really enjoy the Christmas dinner or anything like that too much. But, you know, that's that's boxing. That's the sport that we're in. And it can be uh, it can be rough at times. I suppose, you know, moving into the new year after my surgery and after I got the all clear on the jaw, on the jaw that it was I was good to go again. Um there was a lot of there was a lot of thinking that had to be done, you know, had to surround myself with the right people and the people that, that cared for me most and was giving me the right advice for the right reasons. And I took it all on board and came around to the decision that we're uh, we're back in the ring. I kinda knew for a good couple of months that definitely would be coming back into the ring again, to be honest. You know, after the last fight I was really down the dumps and did not go the way that I thought or ever expected it to go that way. Um, so I had to take a lot of time out to to adjust to that, to, to come to the realisation of of what happened and how to move forward in, in the best direction. And yeah, you know, fell down the dumps and sorry for myself and things like that. But, you know, you've got to give yourself a kick in the ass sometimes. You've got to get up on your feet again and uh, you got to... You got to get back into the ring for the for the right reasons, and as I said, you know, I surrounded myself with the right people, the people that cared for me, and the people that were giving me the advice for the right reasons, and most importantly, you know, the 
the answers were all within in a way. It was just a matter of uh, being able to sit by yourself and, and to find and to search for those answers. And uh, now we're we're back, full training, always in the gym in a way, always staying in shape, but we're back now um, deep into camp for this fight on April 1st. Things are going very, very well. Very excited and uh, really looking forward to getting back into that ring again. Great, great stuff, Jason. And look forward to chatting about it over the next hour. How are you, uh, Emmett and Kevin? Good form? Oh, good here. Yeah, thanks, John. Thanks for having us on. And uh, you're now moving from the amateur to the pro ranks over the last while, Emmett. Yeah, so I'm just looking to make the transition. And similar to Jason, I was injured last January. um, And had to sit with myself as well find out is this what I want to do because professional boxing it's it's not an easy way of making a living um, and similar to Jason had chats with the family chats with people that are close to me and decided that that is the route that I want to go down So you were talking very honestly about getting credit union loans to go to, to, to fight at the Olympics and that kind of thing how has the process been in terms of you know getting into the pro game you're trying to get a promoter you're trying to maybe have a base as well that might not be in Ireland? Yeah, so originally the base was supposed to be in New York. Um, a great idea of moving over there. There hasn't been an Irish boxer really boxing out of New York in probably 10, 15 years. And just when I got there, the reality of it didn't really add up to my expectations in my mind. So um, I had to go back to the drawing board, come back to Ireland, think about what direction I wanted to go. And... I seen that boxing is thriving over in London. You're talking about like for me especially sparring from middleweight up to light heavyweight, you can get world class sparring um on your doorstep every day of the week. So the plan is to move to London now, relocate there in the next month or two and fight over London. And become a pro fighter. Become a pro fighter. So what is the day to day for you at the moment? The day to day I'm training in my amateur club at the moment, so I'm still training full time. I'm doing a little bit of work in the gym at the moment as well, but um, my sole focus at the moment is getting the body ready for my professional debut. And how has the body even changed from, say, the amateur days? You came over the injury. Do you have a different body as a pro, if that um, makes any sense? For me, you have so much more flexibility because when you're in the Irish team, you're going off their schedule. You're up in the high performance unit. They're training four to five days a week. They have the schedule set out for the week and you basically have to go with that. Um, what I found as a professional, well, I haven't gone pro yet, but making the transition into professional, it's a lot more flexible and it's a lot more individualised to to my schedule so I can train what I want really when I want. Kevin, so Irish boxing at the moment, there's good news with the likes of uh, Emmett going into the pro ranks and with Jason having us fight. And then obviously you had the bit of the the news that was not so good about the amateurs not being able to go to the Worlds now because the Irish uh, Amateur Boxing Association pulled them all out. Why did they do that? I think it comes down to two factors, really. Um, war in Russia and the Olympics. So, like, the war in Russia angle, obviously a lot of sports of, you know, there's no Russian or Belarusian bo- uh, sports people taking part. But the IBA has come under Russian control in recent years. The current uh, president is Umar Kremlev, a kind of Moscow mogul who's risen to power in the last couple of years, cleared the debts of the IBA, made relations all over the world, spent a lot of money. uh, That's Gazprom money. They've been turfed out of Champions League football, as we've seen in recent years. Russia have effectively made a play for uh, control of amateur boxing in the last couple of years and have, have successfully done so. 
they, they're facing a bit of a revolution from the, from the Western countries at the minute. I think it's probably the countries that, to hazard a guess, value the Olympic angle of it the most because uh, the countries that have effectively, that, that are going to boycott the upcoming World Championships are the USA, Britain, uh, Canada, Ireland, and a bunch of kind of countries that are closer geographically to Ukraine and to Russia. Like this, just talk to Scandinavian countries, uh, Baltic countries are going to join this boycott, kind of formed a common cause alliance. Um, and the Olympics means more to, means a lot to Western countries. We, we funded our boxers based on, like Emmett would, would see that the money that's gone into the high performance unit over the years. We, we based our funding model to catch up with like the traditional Soviet powers, the Cuban powers that, that effectively had professional amateur boxers through the, the 60s, 70s, 80s, and they hoovered up the medals, you know, accordingly. The Western world has basically spent money to catch up with those, based our funding models on Olympic achievement, and uh, we value the Olympics quite, quite highly. Um, the IBA have made a bet, effectively, boxing is too important for the Olympic chiefs to throw it out, and we will we will uphold our power and strengthen it around the world. So, like the IBA just held a tournament in Marrakesh. Uh, the president is just back from summits in Dubai. Uh, time spent in Cameroon, going to Cuba. He's meeting presidents. He's meeting prime ministers. They're putting money into spend into training centres. They're investing in places that don't normally get invested in, and they're throwing plenty of kind of plenty of cash around and plenty of. Uh, support around the boxing around the world and their mission is to grow boxing around the world so they say and the evidence like if you threw it to a vote around the world of do you want Kremlev and do you want the current association the way it is it's a resounding yes it's 75 percent or whatever two-thirds at least for the current regime so like the West how do the ioc uh, you know gel or not with these people well, not at all. Like they, there's it's, a, it's not going to be in Los Angeles at the moment, boxing. No, it's off the programme in Los Angeles and the IOC are going to run it themselves at Paris 2024, just as they did when Emma took part in uh, Tokyo 2020 when Kelly Harrington obviously won her gold medal and Walsh won his, uh, won his bronze. And that's the way it's going to be going forward. It's not on the programme for Los Angeles 2024. It's a terrible shame because boxing made its debut you know, 120 years ago uh, as, a, as an Olympic sport but I think it was on the original programme back in ancient Greece you know and uh, as it stands it's not, it's not going to take place uh, look there's opposition to the move as well the, the Irish decision to boycott a lot of people in Ireland a lot of people in the country yeah, the impact affected. on the likes of uh, Emmy Broadhurst uh, Lisa Rourke med- yeah. medal winners Kelly Harrington uh, what's the impact on them well, just from a the, the, the call you hear is keep, keep politics out of sport don't, don't let decisions by politicians or, or administrators affect boxers. Fighters want to fight and there's massive prizes going at these world championships. I think there's $2.6 million as prize pot at the women's world championships and then in May at the men's world championships there's $5.5 million up for grabs so 200 grand for a, for a male gold medalist. Boxers want to take part in this and they don't necessarily want to be, uh, not, I can't speak for all of them but a lot of them that I've kind of heard from don't necessarily want to take part in a, a political boycott but then again, the bigger picture is, well, don't you want to be part of the Olympic Games? Well, yes, I do. Well, you know, if you support the thing that's going on right now, well, then you're effectively working against the, the sports Olympic future. So it's a difficult one to, to square. You know, people want short term, aren't thinking long term. But then sh- careers are short, aren't they? Like, you know, you've yeah, got five, I mean, six years at it. Like, and especially at amateur level, there's not a lot of opportunities bar um, funding and your bit of sponsorship. There's not a lot of opportunities to make great money as an amateur boxer so you can see why the boxers want 
to fight in the World Championships because of the prize money. But as Kevin said, there is a bigger picture of this. Do you want to be an Olympian? Do you want to be an Olympic champion? And if you go around any amateur club in Ireland, that's what most kids would be saying. They want to be Olympians. They want to be Olympic champions. And we've, we've Jason on the line, obviously. Like yeah. he got, he's the first Irish man ever to get to a World Championships final. Had it been 10 years on, he'd be fighting for 200 grand in that final. What do you think of it, Jason, this whole move? I think I might have tried a wee bit harder back in the <laughs> there's the other ground. <laughs> um yeah, look, I can I can totally get where the boxers are coming from. Um the only thing with the boxers is like, you know, you can tell them to to miss the championships and to boycott this, but there's still no real guarantee that the Olympics is gonna go ahead as well and they can, you know, compete at the Olympic Games. So you know, as Kevin says, they're like boxers. They just want to get into the ring. They just want to fight. Um, you know, for me, whenever I was making that transition from uh, amateur to professional, it was the most frustrating time that I've ever gone through in my boxing career because I just wasn't in the ring. I wasn't competing. I wasn't active. And, you know, you're in the gym training away, but you didn't have nothing to really train for. So... Once again, it's the boxers that are losing out. Once again, it's the boxers that are that are getting the brunt of this. And it's just very unfortunate for the sport because everybody knows how popular boxing is professionally and in the amateur game and in the Olympics. So it's um it's just a very sad time, I suppose, for uh amateur boxing. Um, especially Ireland, like it's been our most successful sport in the uh, Olympic Games. You know, we have the amount of talent that's come through this country in the Olympic Games, and you know, Emmett's one of them. You know, all the medalists, like it's absolutely fantastic, and it's just unfortunate now that we're, um, you know, there could be a chance that this mightn't be a continued event in the Olympic Games. I kind of, John as well, I kind of understand some of the anger at the IOC as well from boxing people in that, um, you know, they've tried to make the sport more inclusive and they're trying to grow the sport. But if you look at the figures from, say, Beijing 2008, the first major success of Ireland's high-performance unit, 283 boxers added, all male, uh, 11 weights. A lot of opportunities to qualify, a lot of opportunities to win. And yet, like we still know it was extremely difficult to qualify. Most of the Irish guys got through, I think, at the final qualifier. Paddy Barnes went through first, but like you, Kenneth Egan, you know, went through late. Uh, John DeJoyce, Sutherland, you know, went through late. 2012, they opened it up to women, and it's from de- down to 250 men, 36 women. Still quite unequal. Um, but you look at uh, the 2024 Olympics now, you're down to seven weights for men, six for females. They've kind of gone half and half. So instead of adding women to the programme, they've taken away males. So it's twice as hard to qualify as it was in 2008. So is it any wonder then that uh, there's a lot of frustration? It's difficult to get your boxers to the Olympics and it's even more difficult to win them. So it's like Emma was lucky enough to get to the Olympics in his career or you know, worked hard enough and got there, managed to, managed to do it. Jason is probably, by all accounts, I'd say Ireland's most successful middleweight of all time in terms of being European champion and world's championships silver medalist and just w- was unable to get to the Olympic Games and I'm sure would have absolutely loved to have done so. It's twice as hard now to qualify. Um, so IBA have effectively said, right, we'll, we'll run it ourselves. And if the Olympics don't want to have anything to do with us, we'll do that. But I think there's a bigger play as well. Like, so there's, like I said at the start, there's two factors here. There's the war and there's the Olympics. And, you yeah. know, there's, 
like when you're in Dublin Docklands Club, Bemmet, uh, your club, uh, you know, you're you're dealing with like teenagers. You were one yourself. Is the Olympics the, the key thing in your head, even from the moment you begin, or is it more to have a purpose? What's the the general motivation when you're younger? Yeah, like the a boxing club obviously serves a few purposes. For me, it was always to be an Olympian. That's why I stayed at amateur up until twenty years old because I was just driven to be an Olympian. I'm looking at the boxing club now, and it's slightly changing. Where you do have still a few boxers that the Olympic is their main goal, but a lot of them now they want to earn money. With the pro game? Yeah, with the pro game. A lot of them are looking at the pro game from very, very early on. Social media might have something to do with that because they're looking at their favourite boxers, spending money, earning money, living a great lifestyle, whereas we didn't have that 10, 20 years ago. But definitely... There is a lot still want to be an Olympians, but there's, whereas like you're talking 10, 20 years ago, the main thing for an Irish boxer was to be an Olympian. That would have been probably 90% of boxers. Now I'd say that's probably 50-50. You're not regretting that you, you made the decision too late then? No, look, definitely no regrets. But the made, Olympic to two in your... Yeah, I've, look, I've made it. I've, I've great stories from it, um, and it's part of my journey. Obviously... I would have liked to be there a lot earlier, but look, um, everyone's time is just different, and my time was obviously a lot later in life. Yeah. But look, I've maybe I didn't get there in 2016, 2012 because I wasn't, I wasn't mature enough. I wasn't living the lifestyle. I wasn't. I can remember Jason from ten years all the way up. He was an athlete from ten years all the way up to elite level. I wasn't trained the way he was. It took me later on in life to realise that this is what you have to do to um, to complete your, your goals and your ambitions. So with the likes of Eric Donovan, Dennis Hogan having success in their 30s, that's your hope that you know it's not too late? Yeah, it's not too late. Like, you look at like lifestyle choices, you can you can forward your career, especially right now this, with science and stuff like that, there's so much different things and new things you can do but living a healthy lifestyle um, committing yourself to the process committing yourself to the game not being stupid and that talking about earlier on being away from the high performance doing things to my schedule not to the high performance schedule that lad years onto my boxing career you look at Dennis and Eric like Dennis is 37 38 he's going to fight on the undercard of Katie Taylor's show it looks like on May 20th he's IBO world champion um, and he's done that like a little bit later in his career. So, d- in terms of the, the management, because you're not in the high performance unit now, are you managing yourself? Uh, who's managing? No. So, um, again, because you're all you have a wise ahead on your shoulders. I wasn't prepared to just just take the force manager that came to me. I went and talked to as many people as possible. I've been talking to a manager in London now, and I'm hoping to get that signed in the next two weeks. Where's Katie Taylor's fight going to be, Kevin? In the three arena, May 20th? Definitely, it has to be the three arena, I think, at this stage. Uh, I think a lot of the talk about, we're talking, myself and Emma, just before coming on, we think a lot of the discussion around Crow Park for May the 20th at this stage is a smokescreen. She's been promised a homecoming, a Dublin fight in her next event, and it looks like that's going to be at the three arena. I'm surprised they haven't announced the venue yet. But all this talk about Conor McGregor and the Crow Park angle is keeping interest in the event, and you're months out from the event. They haven't got the storyline set yet. It is. It's going to write itself. Uh, Taylor against Serrano too. One of the fights of the year last year, male or female. So it's going to write itself. 
But it's keeping interest in the fight, keeping a bit of headlines, I think. But there'd be no problem selling 9,000, 10,000, would there? You wouldn't have thought so. Well, what is the realistic sale, though? For Is there a legitimate worry from the promoter about Croke Park that it might be difficult to shift 60,000, 70,000 tickets for that? I think they need to break even. Of, is it 50 or 60? I think they need to break even. They need to sell it off a lot to break even. And then I think on May the 20th, as, as the chosen date set down by the broadcasters, same day as the Heineken Cup final. Like, good luck in Dublin, you know, getting a hotel. And a lot of the punters are at the Heineken Cup final. People with a bit of money, people with their kids, young Katie Taylor fans. You want them to come. You want them to come to Crow Park and experience maybe their first boxing event. You know, something different. They're, I'm sure Katie Taylor's got fans all over the country and across the UK. You want people to be able to travel into the capital. You want, you know, from, from Cork and Kerry and Donegal and London and Manchester and come. And it doesn't appear that... But Dublin doesn't have that capacity, does it, John? I don't think so. Like, uh, so I think May the 20th, three arena, they'll be doing well. Uh, I'm surprised the date wasn't changeable, but it doesn't appear to be so from the zone. The, the broadcasters, so they'll take what they have. And, and at least then Eddie Hearn will be able to say, I delivered the comeback. You're fighting in Ireland in your next fight. And if... If it's an explosive atmosphere and a brilliant fight, then it'll increase the interest and maybe going for Crow Park later in the year. But if it's not a good fight, then they've maybe, you know, harmed the mystique of the Katie Taylor comeback. It's done. You know, people mightn't be as keen to buy tickets in, in September. But I'd imagine Taylor against Taylor against Serrano at any time is going to be a great fight. It's going to deliver action. It's going to, going to deliver entertainment. So Taylor's next fight, if uh, she's willing to fight in Crow Park later in the year, has a good chance then of doing well. Jason, would you have it? I was on mute there, lads. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, my, my current schedule now is I'm up for we're full time training now in camp with uh, with Andy Lee. So um, we'll be training twice a day, um, four or five days a week, and then one one day on a we- one session on a Wednesday, one day on a, one session on a Saturday, and then we have Sunday off. So you know. We're in the we're in the middle of it. We're in the thick of the training camp now. Everything was going great. We had a good three four week camp done already. We have six weeks to go now. Have a couple of days back home in Donegal just to refresh and uh, back in the camp now on Monday again and uh, ready for the last six weeks now. Moving into the fight for April first. What's is it mainly sparring? Is it or what? What kind of uh, training is it? Yeah. So everything you know. Once you get back in the camp, it's just picking up on little techniques, any little bad habits that you've picked up outside the camp, you know, just tweaking little things, uh, just getting the body back into, just getting the body back used to it, the muscles, everything, you know, so we're, we're doing a lot of, a lot of mat work, technical work, a lot of bag work, a lot of, a lot of dog work as well, you know, uh, just getting back into camp as well, you know, really just testing the body and, and pushing the body uh, beyond its limits as well. Um, to have that that hard mental state moving into the last six weeks of the camp as well. So, you know, there's a lot of work going on, but a body sparring going on at the minute, and I will be picking up the the full sparring now coming in uh, the the next couple of weeks. Andy had a disappointment in his career before he won the uh, WBO middleweight bout there a few years ago. Has he spoke too much about the Demetrius Andrade Dried fight, or like what went wrong, or you know, it was just one of those things? Or is there is there much I suppose mental talk just as much as the physical work? Yeah, there's, you know, um, like with that fight, it just it never really got going for me. Um, like the first minute, first minute and a half felt great. You know, it was keeping my distance well, was starting to land my jab, was just found everything starting to starting to come together in that fight. 
um in the first first minute two minutes of the of the first round and then you know he landed that uh the first shot the first knockdown you know he broke my jaw because i could just didn't actually know my jaw was broke but i could taste blood i thought my teeth or something were knocked out but um yeah it was the first shot you know that 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 broke my jaw and it was just so hard to come to terms with what was going on in my mouth uh, was it my teeth that was knocked out? Is something else going on? And there was an actual uh, a thick slice in my gum that clumps of blood were coming out of, you know, so it, it made it very difficult to breathe as well. So I was trying to figure all this out at the same time, trying not to get hit again. <laughs> um, so it was just difficult. It was, look, it was one of those things, boxing happened and there isn't really much you can look back and take away from it. Um, because that shot just landed. It could have been a completely different story if that shot hadn't have landed. But you know, me and Andy, we've had uh, we've had a good talk about things. Um, but we're just really picking off, uh, taking off now where we left off uh, before that Andrade fight. You know, in training camp, everything we've been working on, everything we've been working towards. So uh, yeah, I'm excited now to to put all that on show on uh, the national stadium on April first. What do you know about your opponent, Kim Paulson? Um, he's a, he's got a great record. Do you know what I mean? Anybody that's thirty ones in a inside a professional ring, you know, has earned them. And he boxed for Denmark. I think he actually boxed. Uh, he says he boxed in the national stadium before. He boxed uh, Denmark versus Ireland or Denmark versus Northern Ireland. So um, he represented his country as an amateur. He's had plenty of fights as a professional. Um, but any fight that I get into, I try not. It's not that I try not. I just don't really concentrate too much on my opponent. Um, obviously, at the start, you know, if there's any video, if there's anything available on him, I take a look at it. Uh, suss him out, see his kind of styles, just kind of visualize what is to be expected um and what is going to be in front of me on the night so once i kind of visualize that and get it in my mind anytime that i'm shadow boxing or anytime i'm working on a technique for the fight you can kind of visualize your opponent what he's going to do what kind of stance what kind of shape what kind of size is um but once i kind of tick those boxes then it's just uh it's concentrating on myself and making sure that i show up uh, 110% on the night. It's interesting in asking you yourself and uh, Emma, this uh, Jason, uh, Sonny Bill Williams was on with me about a year ago uh, just talking about his career in rugby and rugby league and rugby union won the World Cup and he said boxing was the hardest thing he ever did and he's, still, he's, he's loving the boxing now. He's, he's getting involved in boxing. Amazing athlete, amazing career as a sports person. Yeah. Would you get scared when you're in the ring at all, Jason? Would I what? Get scared? Uh, a lot of people have asked me this, you know, and I think it's just something that you always be a little bit nervous and a bit anxious or, you know, there's always a wee bit of something going on in the body and you need that before a fight. But I, I can honestly say, like, I've never I've never got scared. Um, I think it's, you know, when you're doing it since you're 10, 11 years of age, the, the fear, if, if it's in you, if the fear is in you, you know, I can't see you going on and having the career that... The length of career that I've had, if that fear element or if you're scared of getting into the ring, I can't see it being a progression for you. So for me, in a way, um, maybe Emmett might have experienced different, everybody, <laughs> every human being is different. We all have different experiences and might, some people might have sense of fear 
certain stages of their life and be able to overcome it. But um, for me, I've never, I've never been, um, I've never been a scared. No, thank God. But uh, definitely nervous, and you know, get those jitters before a fight. What are your emotions like when you go into the ring, Emmett? I'd be just fully focused, but I remember as a kid, I would have been afraid. Yeah, like maybe up to 14 years of age, I would have been afraid. And um, with experience, age, that sort of leaves you. And then as well, I'm never going to go into a ring now where I'm not fully prepared. Whereas back then, I might have. But now, similar to Jason, my training full time, we're putting everything into this sport. So we know when we get in the ring, we are fully prepared. But slight nerves, but for me, it changes just being focused on the task, focused on the game plan, focused on what's ahead of me. I wouldn't say it's fair of the person that's in front of me. Um, you don't want to lose. That's one thing you don't want to do. Maybe there's a bit of anxiousness and nervousness about losing, but um, I would never be afraid of the man that's in front of me. I'm just fully focused on the job ahead. What's the technique then work like? Uh, are you, what is the strong part of your game in terms of is it a jab or is it a uppercut or what? What, what is your defense? What is the strong part? What are you looking to improve as you go into your, into your pro career? I'd say for me now, my main strength is the mental side of the game. Right. Um, that's probably what's got got me to where I am. I'm, I'm very capable of upsetting opponents. I'm very durable. I come forward. I can. I'm defensively very, very good. I don't give away a lot of shots. And because I'm a pressure fighter, if your defence is good, there's always going to be opportunities to counter attack. Even though from the outside it looks like I'm just going forward, putting pressure on, putting pressure on. Someone that doesn't know boxing would be just saying I'm a pressure fight, fighter. But what I'm really doing is I'm seeing what my opponent is throwing. Now I know next time he throws that. Did his hand go back low or what was his defence like? And really, I'm a counter-attacker going forward. What about your own technique, Jason? How's that evolving and what are your hopes for strengthening your own game as a boxer uh, going forward? Yeah, I think um, you go through phases. Um, you know, whenever I went into the national team and the computer scoring system, it was like, like everybody knows this, the the sport fencing like it was very much like fencing whenever the computer scoring was in like it was never about hitting your opponent hard or it was never about trying to get a knockout or anything like that it was you know just touching your opponent and getting out of there like everything was just tip tapping um and then funny enough you know that was the period that i was really molded in the in the high performance setup with billy and czar and john cleary and everyone in there but when we got to the stage then where I was actually competing at the European elites and the world elites, it was the 10-9, the 10-8 uh, scoring system. And that's when I had a lot of my success. I had success, of course, as well in, in uh, <coughs> the computer scoring. But, you know, then I turned professional and I was over in LA and I kind of got this Mexican style about me where you had the hands up and you were just throwing punches. You were just letting them fly, going for the knockout all the time. I, and I remember, like, um, I remember sparring over there and I remember dropping a fella. And I was like, holy shit. Like, <laughs> like I never I never really sat down on my punches before. I never really tried to drop anybody before. But once I went over there, um, it was like, it was just a different, a different style and a different mentality as well. And then obviously went to the angle gym over in Sheffield in the UK and it was a real prince in the same, you know, 
up on your toes, moving around nice and flash and brash. It was like kind of one extreme to the next. Whereas now, I think, you know, with myself and Andy, we have found that nice balance where me, myself personally, I think, you know, I'm a, my strong point is up on my toes, is moving, is my flexibility, is, you know, being nice and elusive. But also in the professional game, you need to hurt, you need to earn your respect, you need to you need to be able to look in your opponent's eyes and, and, and let him know that you're there and you mean business and not let anybody walk over the top of you. You know, there's that mental battle all the time going on in a professional fight. Like if you just get in there and let a boy do what he wants, then it could be party over very early on. Whereas you need to stamp your authority. And that's where I think I have that um I have that nice balance now. Um what I'm working on is being up on my feet, nice and elusive, letting my shots go, putting my punches together, but at the same time being spiteful, being ruthless. And, you know, if that opportunity comes that you can get them out of there, you rip them out like, you know, and that's that that's the name of the game. Kevin Byrne, uh, Jason Quigley and Emma Brennan are on the panel here talking about Irish boxing. Where is the state of the game in terms of the local clubs here, Kevin, at the moment and the opportunities for young people and the opportunities for the boxers of the future to have a, a progression and a purpose going forward? Is it a healthy state? Um, I think it's overall quite a healthy state. You, you can't stop talent. It keeps coming through and there's been boxing's had an awful lot of setbacks over the years. You know, it's had professional takeover with the MTK stuff. It's had In, in the amateurs, it's had a the takeover of IBA and you know, all the controversies that have come from those like similar things where cash was thrown at a takeover in the amateurs, cash was thrown at a takeover in the professionals and it's led to diversions and it's led to led to negative negative aspects for boxing. But at the same time, you can't stop the progress of the young boxers coming through. Like uh, And a couple of years ago, I would have been looking at the Irish high-performance team and thinking, how many more top boxers can they lose? They're all going professional. And yet, every every year, like Emmett in Dublin Docklands, you've got a European champion there in Ava Henry as well. And like every club, every every county in Ireland has almost something unique going on at the minute. Like you could name one and I'd throw something at you, John. Like, it's, like my own county of Wicklow, they've got the greatest female boxer in history probably. Uh, but we've known about Katie Taylor for years. But then there's Dana Morehouse, multiple European champion at underage, Irish senior champion now three years in a row. Then there's a new new blood as well, Ty O'Donnell coming through, European champion. And nearly every county in Ireland has that kind of, and it's probably because of, you know, of the work of the club coaches around the country and the, the passion and the desire of the young Irish boxers coming through. So there's always setbacks. Like a lot of the clubs around Ireland are underfunded. A lot of clubs in recent years have lost their premises. I was only talking last night to the trainer of Claim Boxing Club selling all the contents of the club because he, he cannot get a place to set up. He's having to spend a thousand euros a month, effectively a proper mortgage on a commercial pre- on a commercial premises in order to house his club. He can't do it anymore. And a lot of clubs like that around, around the country, Emmett, aren't there, like where they don't have a premises, they don't own one. They're renting a kind of a shed in an industrial estate in the, on the outskirts of their town and they can't do it for much longer. So like they need support and and like, one negative aspect of that is all those talented kids in Clane. Now, a lot of them could join other clubs, but they could drop off, they could fall somewhere else. Ireland did lose a lot of talented boxers through COVID. Like I'd ask Jason and uh, Emmett, each of them, what would you have done if you couldn't box competitively between the ages of, say, 12 and 15 or 14? Yeah, it'd be, let's be real, it'd be out of the sport. You'd either be lost to Gaelic, soccer, hurling, wherever it is, or else you would just go down a different uh, route altogether where... You have nothing, nothing to do. Like the the boxing club, obviously the main purpose is to create good boxers, but it's also it's a space for kids to come and kids to grow. 
the social aspect. Like I look at kids coming into the boxing club, maybe two, three years ago, with a shy, little bit overweight, um, rail in the shell, and I'm looking at them now. I see this in the boxing club all the time. They're chatting with their kids, they're laughing, they're running, they're down a few kilos. So the what a boxing club offers to a community is far more than just creating champions. It creates good people. It installs discipline into into them, routine. Um, like you look at most boxers that make it to like elite level and stay in a boxing club the whole life, they're very employable people because they learn life skills in the boxing club. And also stay away from negative supports. You've spoken before about you know maybe hitting the the gargle a bit at yeah. times. Yeah, I I don't haven't drank in ten months. Um, went out to New York sort of. Um, it was post Olympics, and we all heard about the post Olympic slump where athletes um, just get a little bit lost. There's a lot of like depression. For me, I wasn't depressed, but I was just lost. I had no, I had no focus, and my goal was to be an Olympian. That was gone now. I I didn't know where I was going, and unfortunately, I put all the energy that I was putting into becoming an Olympian to drinking and partying. And that's part of the reason why I stepped away from New York and came home. Was there a support network there for you to stop? No. Um, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, but like, don't. You, you know, <laughs> we were told like before the Olympics, yeah, there'll be support networks. Um, mental health post Olympics is is there. There's gonna be wherever to help you. But once the Olympics was over, no, there, there was nothing. Lonely place. No. It was a lonely place. For oh, you. Sorry, it was a, yeah. It was a for me. It was a lonely place. Um, again, I have a great family, great friends around me, but um, you're in your own head for most of the day. And yeah, I did. I did find. I found it hard. I listened to Greg O'Shea on. He was on the late late. I think it was a few weeks ago, and he was talking about. He went into a downward spiral where he ended up seriously depressed and he had to go get help over himself Um, I just found there wasn't someone putting a hand out when there should have been yeah and to be fair to Emmett he's he is the help now for a lot of people like he's put his hand out and like you're doing great work and talking talking openly about your battles with drink Mm. but especially gambling as well like I believe a lot of young lads are coming to you with a you know, yeah, them. and like and that's hidden gambling. Hidden, yeah, gambling's hidden. Also, like I'm a little bit older. If I was twenty one, twenty two, twenty three, it could have been a lot worse for me. But being that little bit older certainly did help for me. But yeah, gambling is an addiction that's taken over Ireland, and it's hidden. You're on your phone. No one knows you're gambling. If you're drinking, at least people can see it. If you're doing drugs, people can see it. But I could be on my phone outside before I came in here. I could have gambled 200 euro. No one would have never known but me. Yeah, yeah. Just in terms of the, uh, uh, you're talking about the support there, Kevin, that the coaches, like the, the unsung heroes of, mm. of, of Irish boxing and, and what they're doing to, I mean, the men of champions, like I'm just reading them off there earlier on, like Amy Broadhurst, Lisa Rourke, uh, Kelly Harrington. But the pro game here, that was that's obviously the amateur game, but the pro game has been under a cloud since the Regency Hotel shooting in 2016. And the association Daniel Kinnan's had with professional boxing, MTK Global now has ceased operations. But how does the pro sport clean up its image following the extremely damaging uh, links with Daniel Kinnan? I think it just needs I think it needs to just keep kind of almost like love bombing with by creating good fights trying to cre- trying to create clean cut stars with no no association I suppose with the previous MTK like I'm sitting beside one here and there's Jason on the line as well he's having a home show at the uh, on April 1st then 
a week later in Waterford, there's another one in there's a Dylan Dylan Moran as well boxing down there, and there's there's young prospects kind of sprouting up between Galway and Cork and Limerick. None of them really have an association with the old MTK regime, and I think as time passes on, and uh, and like you saw last year, you know, like Eric Donovan was probably the breakout star of 2022. He, he retired on such a high. I think as time passes on, that's just gonna, you know, that might melt away into the past. But then again, like there are still boxers who were aligned with MTK, who are active, who are under new management, under new uh, promotions, and you know. There ha- maybe there's an amnesty for those, not an amnesty or whatever. There is definitely a reluctance on the part of some sports journalists to kind of cover their fights, and it does feel like some of them go a little bit under the radar. There could be world title fights, and they're not really being spoken about. And you know, I can I can understand that too. Um, boxing to, to the general public does it have it might have an image problem. It probably does. Like I mean, it's not often uh, at a GAA uh, raffle is someone murdered you know what I mean or it's not it's not often that someone's life is taken at any sporting event it happens by accident sometimes but never on purpose uh, so that happened in boxing that's something that boxing has to deal with um, I wasn't there that day myself uh, luckily enough but I know I know another journalist but you would have gone to these things as a would you gone to these weigh-ins and oh yeah often enough yeah, yeah I was at the press conference the previous day talking to a few of the boxers and uh, I remember Doing, yeah, I remember doing a couple of interviews with, there was a headliner, a guy from, uh, an Irish traveller, kind of guy from, from London called Gary Corcoran. He was on the headliners, had a great chat with him about growing up but with all his brothers and sisters. And he had an interesting story. And uh, yeah, and then the next day some, somebody was murdered at the uh, press conference and a journalist had a, a mish, like a AK-47 or whatever, pointed at his face. Uh, he was hiding, you know, crying for his life, you know, hoping, hoping to survive. So um, it, no, no other sport has had that. So... It's uh, it's something that boxing has to reconcile itself with. But I think at the same time, when you ask the average person in the street in Ireland, what do you think of when you think of Irish boxing? I think more of them think about positive things, such as Katie Taylor, Kelly Harrington, Olympic gold, than maybe the negative. But it, the, the association is there. But at the same time, boxing has no other option. It's not going to stop. Like I said, when I was talking to you a few minutes ago, uh, the talent just keeps coming. And the uh, the new boxers and the new faces and the new names keep emerging. And they can't be held back, I don't think. Like... Uh, by the associations with the past. Does Katie Taylor deserve a homecoming of a Croke Park level in your view, Emmett? Yeah, of course. Like she's probably the greatest sports person that Ireland have ever had. She hasn't fought in Ireland as a professional. Um, but everything has to be right. They have to know they're going to sell Croke Park out. You can't really bring her home and there's 40 or 50,000 people there. The atmosphere isn't as good as what they're, they're expecting. Um, so I actually think it's maybe a blessing in disguise going to the three arena first selling that out and I think that record will sell out in record time I would imagine an hour or two them 9,000 tickets will be gone in an ideal world she has a great fight with Serrano gets the win and then goes for a big Crow Park show in September um, I definitely think it's doable to sell Crow Park out but you need everything to go right you need to market it perfect. We're only talking earlier. You need to maybe offer discounts to boxing clubs around the country where they're going to bring in probably ten to 20,000 people. A national celebration of Irish boxing. Yeah, almost, yeah, there's 355 boxing clubs in Ireland at the minute. Um, a third of those are in Dublin and Antrim. There's 30,000 uh, members of boxing clubs in Ireland and 75% of those are under the age of 18. It needs to... You know, how many of those kids will be looking up to Katie Taylor or looking up to other people who are maybe on the undercard? Maybe Jason or Emmett, if they're lucky enough to get a spot on that in September, I'm sure both will be interested in taking part in such a thing. Um, 
but yeah, if they, it would be great to see if they could market it to uh, you know to bring in the boxing community and um, market it to clubs. But we'll see. We'll see what, if that happens. Yeah, like one thing that Matchroom are good at is they're good at marketing. Mm, they have a absolutely. great marketing team there. So if there's anyone that's going to market that to the boxing community, I think it would be them. And um, there's also other routes of going through Gaelic clubs. Um, but it's definitely doable that they can sell it out. It's a, like a, it, I would have thought they'd be here before, but I suppose there's difficulties in promoting Irish boxing. We've all obviously talked about the MTK thing a bit. Um, they haven't been back. Matram haven't been back here since 2014 when they did the three arena for a Matthew Macklin fight. I think the place was half full, maybe five or six thousand in a nine thousand seater. So it was a great atmosphere, and if they couldn't sell that one out, it was a world kind of level fight. The onus, who's the onus on to have this fight? Is it on the promoter? Is the Regency Hotel part of the, maybe the factor and the security costs? Or is that an unfair link, as it were? Uh, Kevin? Um, the Regency Hotel has obviously made, you know, boxing promotion quite difficult in Ireland. But at the same time, there's been 18 events held in the South since the Regency. Jason's event is going to make it 19 and then Katie and then Dylan Moore in the following week can make it 20. So there's been quite a lot of activity in the South. Not as much as most boxing fans would would like. There's been three times that much uh, activity in the north as well. And from what I can understand from speaking to different promoters, it's, it's down to the, the cost of sanctioning bodies in Ireland and the cost of insurance. Now, th- has an insurance company ever really come out on record and said why their costs are so high? No, they don't need to explain. They just charge a high fee and that's it. You don't really get to question it. If you want to pay it, you want to pay it. So um, I suppose the onus is, is on Eddie Hearn like, uh, to you know take, take the cost, take it on. He's a well-off businessman. He's done very well out of promoting Katie Taylor over the years. She's had 22 pro fights. Any Irish boxing fan living here in Dublin or whatever that wanted to travel to all of Katie Taylor's fights, 22 flights out, 22 flights home. So that's, a, that's an awful lot of travel people have had to do to follow Katie Taylor's journey. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think there's any downside really to promoting her at the Three Arena in May. You're going to sell it out. You're going to do a good event and then uh, go for Crow Park in, in September. I still have a suspicion though, that Serrano's going to get a elbow injury or something like that. Gabriel Martinelli got that fourth goal uh, for uh, Arsenal who've won 4-2 at Aston Villa. Dramatic finish there in injury time. Uh, Jason Quigley, I suppose it'll be very exciting to have uh, that walk-in uh, you know, for that game uh, fight at the uh, National Stadium in April. That's something you must be... I, I know it's not like it, up the high list of your priorities when you actually get in the ring against um, Paulson, but it, you know, the, the, in front of your own crowd, a full stadium, a walk-in, and being back, and that's you must be absolutely itching for it. Yeah, it was you know it was fantastic. We had the press conference there, the media press conference, um, a couple of weeks back there. So, you know, it was great just being back in the arena again. And I think it was like a couple of months ago last year. Um, I was up at an event in in Dublin in the National Stadium, and I jumped up into the ring. And as soon as I got into the ring, you know there was just this feeling that came over me. It was so long since I was in the ring there. And I was like, I got to do a fight here. So it is exciting. Um, The place is going to be packed out. Tickets just went and sale there this morning at 10 a.m. And they're flying out the door. So absolutely fantastic to see that. And this is what we were talking about earlier. This is good news boxing. Do you know what I mean? This is good people doing good things for professional boxing in the Republic of Ireland. And that's what's the most important thing. There's an underlying um, agenda here as well to me coming back uh, fighting, not just for me to take this off the 
off the box for myself or take it off a list that a goal of mine that always wanted to headline the stadium as a professional or anything like that there. Boxing has given me so much in my life. I want to walk away from this sport and I want to make it and help put it in a better position than what it was when I first came into it. And professional boxing has struggled in the past, but that's this is the turning tide of it now. You know, as Kevin was saying, we have myself now in the National Stadium, we have Dylan Morn, and then we have Katie Taylor in Ireland again. Like such a great wave of boxing back in the Republic of Ireland. And as you says in your question there as well, I cannot wait to get into that national stadium. The place is going to be packed to the rafters and uh, put on a brilliant performance and lift the roof off the place. Definitely is going to be exciting. What's your walk on music, Jason? Sorry? Your walk on music. Actually been working on it. Um was chatting to a, a DJ locally here. We're gonna have a nice wee twist on a on a song for my for my walkout entrance. So really looking forward to that one too. It's gonna gonna get the crowd going, that's for sure. J- Jason's a raver, aren't you, Jason? I, I think I love I love it. But that's that's the thing. That's why I had to get because I couldn't just go straight rave right away. <laughs> Need to get a wee bit of something else in there and then mix it up. What's your walk on music gonna be, Emmett? I'd say it'd be something by the Dubliners. <laughs> uh, nice, nice lad. Very good, the Dubliners. You wanted to say something about a, a young man losing his life there? Uh, just, just, I thought, yeah, we, it was worth mentioning. Uh, obviously, in um, during the week, there was a tragedy in Galway. Just uh, I thought we'd mention John Keenan, 16 years old, Christopher Stokes, 19 years old, from the Olympic Boxing Club. Obviously, their friend died in tragedy as well, Wadzczek Panic as well, 17-year-old. So, um, Francie Barthold, Boxing Club, and Gabriel Dawson, current European champion, and Mike Mongan, the coach, gave the eulogy as well and just was talking about the positivity of the lads and the good stories. Just And, uh, yeah, just two more up-and-coming boxers that, like, obviously tragically lost, but worth a mention as well. Like, they're kind of indicative of the talent that are coming up through through Ireland and, you know, they'll be, they'll be sorely missed. No, oh, no, very sad news and our condolences are with their family and their friends. It's a, a devastating tragedy. Um there's a campaign to get a statue of Deirdre Gogarty up in, uh, I see that, in uh, in Drogheda. That's right, yeah. yeah. They're having a homecoming for Deirdre on May the 19th before Katie Taylor's homecoming fight. Um, so uh, Deirdre, Deirdre Gogarty is going to be back over from um, from from Louisiana in America. and uh, Ireland's first female boxer. Ireland's first female boxer, Ireland's first female world champion. Uh, you know, she fought the girl on the undercard. She fought on the Mike Tyson bill back in uh, Las Vegas against Christy Martin. World famous fight, you know, put women's boxing on the map. Katie Taylor, as a child, was writing letters to her, kind of saying, "You're my hero." And like, Chris, uh, Deirdre Gogarty can trace her first hero back to Barry McGuigan. She went up to him, I think, in 1986, and said, "I'm going to be a world champion like you." And Barry McGuigan said, "Well, you know, you've got a fight in your hands." But effectively, she went and did it. She went to Las- she went to America to make her career. And she's going to be joined by some of her old opponents and friends and well-wishers and stuff in Drogheda on the, the 19th. And I guess the idea as well is if people are in town for the Katie Taylor fight, that they'll go up and, you know, because the zone, I'm sure, will bring in some high-profile female boxers. Christy Martin is hoping to come over for it. So it could be, it could be a great night up in Drogheda. Yeah, looking forward to that one. Kevin Byrne from the Irish Sun, Emma Brennan, thank you so much. The best luck on your journey now as a pro, Emmett. Appreciate it. In London, I'll be talking to you again. And Jason Quigley... All of our cheers and our hopes and uh, well wishes are with you for the uh, fight on, on April the 1st at the National Stadium. And uh, as you said, tickets are now on sale. Tickets on sale this morning there. General sale happened, so get on them. See you all there. Looking forward to it. And uh, as I said earlier, 
Gonna lift the roof off a stadium. Let's do it, lads. Have you subscribed to the OTB Football Podcast? Probably for a little over a year. It's been my intention and my desire to play, play for Ireland. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app.